The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, despite ambitious targets and an increased delivery in social housing, the housing crisis in Ireland rumbles on. Now, today a conference is taking place in Dublin Castle aiming to explore how strong leadership in other sectors can affect change in the housing sector. Now, one of the speakers for that conference is with me now. Gronya Long is the Chief Executive of the Northern Ireland Housing Executive. Gronya, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, um... First of all, looking at the people who are speaking, you've got Nolene Blackwell of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. You've got uh, the VP of EU Public Policy and Amazon. Uh, you've got um, John Concannon, Director General of Global Ireland in Foreign Affairs. And then you have people who have a specific expertise and history in housing. I'm just trying to get a handle on what you're all going to be talking about. Mm. Well, uh, I decided and was very happy to agree to speak today for a number of reasons. I suppose, first of all, the scale and the nature of complexity in housing, um, I think, is unprecedented. We're following a public health crisis with an economic shock. That's not unique to this jurisdiction. We're seeing it in Northern Ireland and across the UK. And so I think it makes sense for housing professionals to stop every once in a while, look at what we're doing, prevent groupthink. If we start to tell ourselves, actually, we can only listen to each other as housing professionals and we can't learn from outside our sector, I think we're in trouble. So I think it's really, really helpful that as professionals, and we are a profession, that we look outside, see what we can learn. But we also cannot absolve responsibility. The crisis across housing, the systems failures, the challenges that we face demand. We have to solve that ourselves. So I think there's a nice mix today. I think the conference is really important. But fundamentally, this has to be about now what we as housing professionals do. Now, we have a Minister for Housing and we have a housing department in in government. And uh, powers are devolved down to local authorities. Well, cash is devolved down to them so they can build uh, social housing. That's how it's done in the Republic. How is it done in Northern Ireland? Well, Northern Ireland is really unusual uh, in the sense that we have um, a single housing authority, an independent housing authority, the Northern Ireland Housing Authority. No politicians Which I run. No, uh, there's a board, an independent board appointed by the Minister. And that was agreed 50 years ago. Um, And in fact, the origins of the housing executive come from um, violence and disruption back in the late 1960s, early 1970s. And it was agreed at the time that it made sense to do several things at once. First of all, to take decision making on housing away from um, political decision makers and give it to independent housing. At that time, we were talking about a gerrymandered society. So uh, all the nice housing might have gone to the Protestants and the lousy housing going to the Catholics. Well, I think there was examples of instances where, for sure, there was political influence over housing decisions. And that's still contested to a certain extent. What we saw, however, what was really important was, um, and I think there's lessons for us today, was at the same time as that happening, a deepening public services crisis in the late 1960s, early 70s, the gap between housing demand and housing supply widening rather than closing, really poor housing conditions. This is There's echoes of the past, there's a reason why sure. I'm saying that. And so the decision was taken that there should be a single, independent, comprehensive housing agency. And so all of the powers for housing sit with one authority. Okay. And so, I think so there's lessons to be learned from that. In terms of all the local councils and so on, what part did they play? How did they interface with you guys? So, so for many years, actually, effectively, councils didn't have a, a, a formal role in housing. In the last number of years, what's been really, really helpful has been that planning decisions have devolved now to councils in Northern Ireland. So what we now have is a system whereby as the housing authority, the housing executive, we assess housing need. So we are right down to a local level. We crunch the numbers and we say, here's the number of homes that we need to build across all 10 years. And we present that to councils as planning authorities. And we work really closely together. And in fact, I present to councils on a regular basis. Okay, so so you go to a particular council. We won't mention any in, uh, in particular, but you say you need... Uh, 750 houses in your council area. Uh, Do you give them the money to build them? So 
what we essentially do then is we the council's role is the planning authority so their job is to ensure that the right land is owned in the right way we then because we're a comprehensive housing authority we commission the social housing development program so we then turn to housing associations who are um the, the like registered providers as they are down here um, and we then commission them to go out and to find that land and we provide them with public sector grant effectively so, so the, to do the, that. The, the, so we're the, the enabler effectively. Yeah. So the council actually zones the land. That's uh, part one because the, they have a responsibility for how they would like this to see their council area develop. So that's step one. You've identified the need, 750 houses as we say, and then you go to housing bodies uh, to have a look at that zoned land, see what they can procure and then they go and build. Now, that's exactly that, that right. That seems quite yes. elegant. That's exactly right. And what's been really effective over the last number of years is, um, you know, you build your capacity over time, so you get better and better and better at doing it. Last year, for example, we commissioned a new build programme with a, a target of 1,950 starts in social housing new build, and we exceeded that target. So we are getting better and better at it. Now, we have all kinds of, of, of challenges this year in terms of capital funding, so the budget's been cut. But I think institutionally, there's a lot to learn from From the, the way triumph. you do. Yes. Now, now the, the problem is that it hasn't solved the problem because uh, the last numbers I saw for this year, I think 45,292 households on the waiting list mm. for housing. In the Republic, it's 57,000 or thereabouts, 58,000. But our population is three times yours. Yes. So your problem is much bigger than ours. Yeah, so, so there's a number of issues there. I think, first of all, the... Uh, how we make people eligible for the waiting list is different, okay? So we're not comparing like with like um, the, um, the protections that we afford people who are homeless, for example, in Northern Ireland are very strong. So we, uh, again, as the housing authority, we assess every household who applies as ho- as homeless to us. We assess whether they have full duty status. So in other words, the highest levels of protection. We then give them temporary accommodation um, and that's an unending duty. So until we find a secure social ho- home for that household, we continue to provide them with temporary accommodation. The majority of the temporary accommodation in Northern Ireland is own front door accommodation. So it is a, a, of it's a not higher hotel quality. accommodation. We only use hotels in exceptional circumstances. Okay, so who owns those front door uh, apartments or houses that you then afford to people who are homeless? So a combination. So we own some uh, as the housing authority. I'd like us to own more. I'd like us to be out there acquiring more properties. That's a conversation we're having right now. And we lease the rest from the private sector um, and we have long-term leases with those. And again, because we're the housing authority, we also have responsibility for housing benefit, which is the which is the housing subsidy. So we can we can ensure that that does the heavy okay. lifting. And it it, it, it makes sense to me because you know the way HAP works here, the, the housing assistance payment, and there are all sorts of rules and regulations. Particularly if a tenant is paying a bit and then they don't pay that bit, then the HAP bit doesn't get paid, and there's all sorts of complexities. You're saying that if you have these long term contracts with people who own houses. But you control everything then. So you we, can- yeah, we're able to, I suppose for the customer's point of view, and this is what's really important, we're able to manage the relationship with the customer so they can come to us, they can apply for housing benefit um, and then the, and we can also ensure that the, that as much of the cost of that temporary accommodation is met through housing benefit and then we top up the rest. Mm-hmm. Okay, we also in, have a discretionary housing payment. In terms of, of, of the logjam that you have, because you've got, as I say, a, a, an acute housing shortage up there, what are the reasons? Is it simply money that central government is not giving you the money? Westminster not giving you the money? There is no Stormont at the moment, as we know. Um, or is it labour shortages? Is it the cost of 
building materials these days. What's stopping you in, in doing more? Yeah, well, of course, housing as a system is, is is one of those systems that you pull one lever and it has consequences elsewhere. It's a number of things. I mean, I suppose looking back 50 years ago, the housing executive was itself building. Okay, and about 20, 25 years ago, a decision was taken that the primary builders of social housing would be housing associations. That was a major, over the last number of years, we've not built enough homes. So one of the solutions to this is that my organisation, because we're also a landlord, um, Pat, so we have 82,000 properties. We're the largest public landlord in Europe um, and we're a, we're a really important economic driver. So when we, we invest 220 million in our homes every year, that has a huge positive impact on the construction industry and on local suppliers. Yeah. So when you have a big... Um, public landlord, you have an economic lever there that you can sure. pull. So my view would be we need more public housing alongside social housing. That's the okay, first but the, the shortage is labour or money. Um, a combination of things. Um, we can't borrow against our rental income, um, where, whereas other public authorities in the UK can. So that would make a big difference, and that would give us the money that we would need then to be able to invest in our existing. And why stock are you and not given that permission? It's a really interesting point. So, for example, my counterparts in other parts of the UK can, um, and so it's a a combination of, of essentially ministerial decisions over the years deciding that the primary providers should be housing associations. Yeah, but 82,000 properties, yeah. your rent roll would be enormous it and is, your borrowing yes, capacity, and borrowing capacity would, be would be very high. And and actually what's also really helpful here is that we're a trusted agency. We've proved ourselves over 50 years of being fair and impartial, of being very delivery focused, despite the fact that we're 82,000 homes. I go out as the chief executive and I can walk up a street with every tenant has a patch manager and has a maintenance officer. We have a 20 24-7 repair service um, and I can walk up the street and all of those tenants will know who that patch manager is. So that local connection with tenants is really, really important. So, you know, the sy- no system is perfect but I think having a, a big independent organisation with clout and with economic influence and the ability to be a market maker is really, really important. And with a political interference but uh, I mean, it was done against the background of the Troubles 50 years ago. Uh, obviously, uh, politicians don't like to cede any power to anybody else. It's a really important point and I think, you know, I couldn't do my job without the elected representatives that I work with. So, for example, I meet every political party on a quarterly basis at the, as, a, as a minimum and we have strategic conversations about housing. You know, politicians and elected representatives must be close to housing because it is such a critical issue. But I think the difference there is they need to be part of it, they need to be influencers, they are decision makers on planners, on planning, but the investment decisions on housing, where we put our money, where we prioritise investment and where we prioritise housing, I think in, in, in Northern Ireland's case has worked really, really well in being driven by professionals, but with very, very clear accountability. So elected members sit on my board and um, we have really, that's a really important, important link to democratic accountability. And fundamentally, the chair of the board is appointed um, by the department and by the minister. So you still have that relationship with uh, democratic intent, um, but it doesn't affect the day-to-day decision-making, which rests with me and I have to be held to account both by our tenants and by our board, and that's the way it should be. I hope the message comes across clearly today because you are an inspiration. Gráinne Long, Chief Executive of the Northern Ireland Housing Executive. Uh, thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.